chapter 9 continues from chapter 8 with nine additional qualities of a leader. If you combine the 7 plus the 8, I'm sorry, you combine the 8 plus 9, we will get a total of 17, actually 16. So basically, I'm picking up where Brother Danny left off two weeks ago. Amen. Okay. We're going to, uh, the topics are for chapter 9, humor, anger, patience. We all could use some patience. Friendship, tact and diplomacy, big words, expand our vocabulary. Inspirational power, executive ability. The therapy of listening, and finally, the art of letter writing. Amen? First one up, humor. <laughs> humor. I mean, uh, you got to have a, a laugh here or there. Humor is our sense of humor is a gift from God that should be controlled as well as cultivated. Clean, clean Wholesome humor will relax tension and relieve difficult situations. However, however, you and I, we have to be careful that we do not carry our humor too far. Especially if a person is going through severe trials, such as marriage, health, finances, or even the loss of a loved one. So obviously, humor, it is a good remedy. However, we have to use discernment. In Ephesians 5.4, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be, what? Thankfulness to God. Humor is great. I love to laugh. But you know, we have to. our timing has to be correct. I mean, sometimes... Listen, I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and uh, humor is not the remedy. Actually, it's food and sleep. So we have to use discernment. We get to know one another on a personal basis, and, you know, after a while you know our good sides and our bad sides. After all, we're still in these fallen bodies, so we're going to fall short. So we just have to be sensitive there, okay? Next, anger. Matthew twenty one thirteen, And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now we're talking about holy anger in context. Holy anger has its roots, believe it or not, in genuine love. Jesus' anger was directed towards those who had changed the character of the temple from a place of prayer into a place of corruption. Many were making their living from the temple and the sacrifices purchased there. They insisted that the temple, that the people could not use the money that had been circulating in society, but had to change their money or exchange it in the temple. Well, this made the Lord mad. It made him angry. But again, this is a righteous anger. And there's times where you see things and you want to react. And that's okay. 
But we don't yield to those feelings. We don't yield to those, uh, uh, those thoughts. Instead, we pray. We still live in a world where sin is ever-present around us. The Bible says it rains on the just as well as the unjust. Listen, bad things are going to happen to us. And you and I are going to be in a position to make a difference. Sometimes we're going to have to receive or take a wrong for a right. Why? Because it's not about you or me. It's about Jesus Christ. He's the focus. Next, patience. We all could use patience. I could use patience. Patience... It's a difficult test, especially in personal relationships. It is a difficult one, at least for me. Paul lost his patience dealing with John Mark. A leader shows patience by not running too far ahead of his brethren, thus discourage them, as Oswald Sanders states. While keeping ahead, he stays near enough for them to keep in sight and hear his call forward. Ernest Gord described his father with these words, quoting, When we lead by persuasion rather than command, patience is essential. Some of you might be in a, in a authoritative position. And you have every right, because of that position, whether you earned it or God gave it to you or what have you, to ask or command someone to do something. However, however, let's be gracious. We have the option of leading by doing, by persuading others. I'm excited about serving the Lord. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the Bible. I mean, these things just excite me. And so that excitement... In my cup, it runneth over into other people's lives. We impact each other for the purpose of godliness, not by our words, but by our what? By our actions. What else? Okay. Mac computers. Here we go. Kill your control. Still talking about patience. God is the gardener of our lives. One of the choicest fruits He wants to plant in, in us is patience. This fruit cannot grow without breaking up the hard soil. What's the hard soil in our hearts? It's our desire for control. I'm in charge. No, honey, you sit down. <laughs> With that type of attitude, you end up on the sofa. <laughs> Control. And see, the whole backbone of the study is, you and I, we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. Because listen, if we're in the flesh, and someone crosses us the wrong way, you know what's going to happen. We're going to go off, and we're going to say something that we, that we uh, regret. And you have to go back, Ask for forgiveness, first to, from God, 
and from that person that you offended. You have to, listen, a prerequisite for patience is the Holy Spirit. When my patience is tested with another individual or individuals, plural, immediately I go into prayer. I see this person coming. I say, Lord, help me. Help me, dear Jesus, to say the right words. May my words be seasoned with salt. Lord, I can't help myself. I need you to help me. And he does. It doesn't have to be with a brother. It could be in any situation. You could be at a grocery store and someone cuts you off. You could be on a highway or a freeway. And again, you have the right of way, but yet someone cuts you off. How do you feel? Upset? That's okay. You might even be get angry. But do not yield to those feelings. Power, listen, power is a root issue with our patience. We are impatient when, we, when our lack of power obstructs our will. We get agitated. We get agitated. Why? Because we're not in control. But wait a minute. We're Christians. And we all acknowledge that God is sovereign. He's in control. We say that. But now we need to apply patience. And again, this is a mark of a leader. Oftentimes, we want more control than what we have. But God wants, to, wants patience to flood our inner being. Impatient people. One of the characteristics of people that are impatient is that they are tired. They are weary. You know why? Because they're trying to do it in the flesh. You try to do anything in the flesh, after a while, you're just going to get tired yourself. Listen, listen I, just, I just can't take this anymore. I, I, I got to go. You just give up. You, you resort to what? To the flesh. Marks of a leader is a godly man or godly woman that is patient and that seeks God first. Friendship. After all, if you're a leader... Or if you're a Christian, you should have friends. I mean, this goes without saying. Friendship. You can measure a leader. Oswald Sanders states, you can measure a leader by the quality of their friends. This is true. Paul's relationship with Timothy was a model of a friendship between generations. You had the older and the younger. For those of you who might know or may not know that by trade or by occupation, I'm a school teacher. I teach or instruct 130 rebellious teenagers. <laughs> Monday through Friday. And my patience is tested every day. But God gives me the grace to deal with them because there's no way I could do it in the flesh. There's no way. No wonder teach, uh, that's why teachers get burned out. But I love my job every day. I laugh. I rejoice. I can talk about cars. I can talk about Christ. I can talk about cooking. I'm free. But God's using these teenagers to work out that ugliness that's in my heart. 
And see, for you, He might use your spouse, your neighbor, your children, whatever. As long as you're on this earth and you're in these fallen bodies, listen, we're going to need patience and we're going to need friends. Friends. When reasons and arguments fail, fall back on the heart of genuine friendship. And I praise God. And again, this I give all glory to God. This is one of the problems I don't have. In fact, I have too many friends. Okay. I... This, they want to come and visit, break bread, and you know it, it's just. And I'm trying to balance. I I'm like, oh, oh Marilyn, I'm not can't. I'm busy. You know, it's hard, but that's a good thing. It's a blessing. I can go most places, number of places in this country, and I have friends. Hey, I'm in town. You know, oh yeah, come on by. Got a place to stay. No problem. It's a good thing. You have friends. What else? Tact and diplomacy. A leader, sh- a leader should have tact and diplomacy. Concerning relationships, tact is the ability to deal with people sensitively, to avoid giving offense, to have a feel for the proper words or response to a delicate situation. That marks a leader. Leaders need to, be, to, need to be able to reconcile viewpoints, this is the difficult part, without giving offense or compromising principle. Fundamental to this skill understands how people feel and how people react. A, you must have the Holy Spirit. And B, for lack of better words, you need to be a people person. If you live on an island and you're close to society, you're going to have a difficult time using tact because you'll never be able to exercise this principle. Avoid giving offense. I've learned, you know, again, we're brethren, we're blessed. And again, I'm not trying to put our pastor on a pedestal, but I've learned a lot from Pastor Richard. I don't have to sit down and talk with Pastor Richard day in, day out. All I do is watch how he handles situations. And it's amazing. I said, wow. I take it back, file it, and then exercise it. I said, how is he going to deal with this question? I was like, whew. And he does it. It takes practice. It takes the Holy Spirit. Tact and diplomacy. This could actually flow over into, uh, you know, Pastor Ray, uh, into married couples. Because, you know, dealing with, you know, the wife or dealing with kids, grandkids. Tact and diplomacy. It could uh, also be useful for those of you that have a angry boss. A cantankerous boss. <laughs> I thank God I don't have this problem. My boss is, he's great. Praise the Lord. Tack um, and dis- <laughs> It's a blessing. Inspirational power. Nehemiah gives, a good, gives us a good example. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. 
Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then Nehemiah told them about how gracious, how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Then look at the response. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. This is awesome. Spiritual renewal often begins with one person's vision. The leader or the pastor or the elder goes before the Lord. The Lord gives him the vision. Then he in turn shares it with the body, with enthusiasm. And in this case, Nehemiah had a vision and he shared it with the rest of the brethren, inspiring Jerusalem's leaders to what? Rebuild the walls. That's a mark, that's a quality of leadership, inspiring others. Inspirational power, the power of inspiring others to what? To service and sacrifice to service and sacrifice that marks God's leader say you know what in my mind I want to be like that like that person wow when God plants an idea in your mind to accomplish something for him share with others and trust that the Holy Spirit will stir it up in the hearts of the people if it's from God you know what He will. God is faithful. Often God uses one person to express His vision. And others in turn make it a reality. So that's why when we come together, we come together with the same mind and the same spirit. And it's beautiful. And God gets the glory. Executive ability. One of the qualities of a leader is executive ability. So what does that mean, executive ability? I can tell because your eyes, you're all crunched like this. It means decision making. Decision making. Everything done in worship service must A, glorify God. It must be beneficial to the worshipers. This principle touches every aspect of preaching, worship, and exercising the spiritual gifts. Those that minister to the church body must, and that's an imperative, must have love as their chief motivation. In fact, that should be for all ministers. The decision to place someone in ministry, especially a key position, that person must be living a a life that's holy and pleasing and acceptable unto God, as Romans chapter 12, and B, be walking as a habit of life in the Spirit. There's a consequence 
Jews. I'm sorry. For not following this principle. And I just want to give you an example. Again, I have a disclaimer. This by no way reflects on what happens here at this fellowship. But this is just an example of what happens when a leader does not use discernment. The title, Drunken Worship Leaders and Mercenary Musicians by Michael Brown. Just listen for a second. If there's anyone in the body of Christ who should be an example of purity of heart and purity of life, it is the worship leader. The man or woman who leads God's people into His Holy Presence. Yet, it is increasingly common to hear about worship leaders getting drunk after church services and dropping F-bombs while they boast about their liberty in the Lord. Some churches even hire unsaved musicians to play on the worship teams because of their talent. How can this be happening in the house of the Lord? And by the way, this was written in 2013. A few months ago, a young man posted a mocking, irreverent comment on my personal Facebook page. Because I did not recognize his name, I clicked on his profile to find out more about him, only to be shocked to see that he had described himself as a guitar player at a church in Plano, Texas. When I posted a scriptural response to his mocking comment, listen to his response, he explained that he didn't care about Jesus or the Word of God. I asked him, but don't you play a guitar on a worship band? Again, you know, this person, he's being very tactful, Mr. Brown, Brother Brown. And this is his response. He replied, I am an atheist and I don't believe any of this stuff, but my father goes to church and they needed a guitarist, so they hired me to play. What? A God-mocking atheist playing guitar on a church worship team. And what happens when they pray together and seek God's heart? Or do they even pray together at all? Then the author writes, Little did I realize that this is becoming more and more common for churches to hire musicians who have no connection to the church and sometimes no connection to the Lord to play their Sunday morning services. Forget about unity in the Spirit. Forget about harmony in the Lord. Forget about ministering under the anointing. The show must go on. End of quote. This is happening in fellowships today. Not here, praise God. But it's happening. Appointing, making the decision to appoint someone that is not led or living by the Holy Spirit. What else? One of the qualities of the leader is... Listening. Leadership and the power of listening. The therapy of listening, quoting, want to become a better leader? Then we should start listening. Being a leader should not be viewed as a license to increase volume or talk. 
Rather, wise leaders know that there is far more to be gained by surrendering the floor instead of dominating it. In this age of instant communication, everyone seems to be in such a rush to communicate what's on their mind. They fail to realize the value of everything that can be gleaned by listening. Quality of a leader. He listens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Little humor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Quoting. And this is another, again, another author. And he points out, it's simply not possible to be a great leader without being a great communicator. This partially accounts for why we don't encounter great leadership more often. The big miss for most leaders is that they fail to understand the purpose of communication is not necessarily the message, but it is to engage. But to engage, a prerequisite to engage the other party, it requires what? Listening. Don't be fooled into thinking that being heard is more important than being hearing. The first rule of communication is to listen. Another quality of a leader. Next, we'll talk about letter writing, the art of letter writing. When this was written, of course, they didn't have email, text, social media back then. So I kind of tweaked it a little bit to make it fit our age. Twelve tips for email etiquette. Oh, this was good. Woo! Number one, be informal, not sloppy. Your email message reflects you and your ministry, so traditional spelling, grammar, and punctuation rules do apply. We'll say, hey, you know, Pastor Barney, I never did finish graduate from high school. That's okay. Most email accounts have spell checker. Okay, it's upper left-hand corner. It has an A, B, and C. Just click it, and it will do all that for you. And the recipients, I think you're a scholar. Number two, keep messages brief and to the point. Just because your writing is grammatically correct does not mean that it has to be long. Nothing's more frustrating than wading through an email message that is twice as long as necessary. And again, this is just etiquette. It's not in the Bible, but in the American culture, this helps. And I think it will help your ministries as well. Number three, use sit in case. In other words, do not use all capital letters. You know what that means, right? That means you're shouting. You're shouting! 
Okay? Do not use our lowercase. In this culture, that means you're lazy. Okay? You capitalize the first sentence, okay? And the rest are small letters. Basics. The art of letter writing. It's in the book that you all read, okay? Chapter 9. Number four, use the blind copy and courtesy copy correctly. Some of you probably don't even know what that is. BCC. Don't use blind copy to keep others from seeing who you copied. Use blind copy, however, when sending to a large distribution list. So recipients won't have to see a huge list of names. (laughs) Be cautious with your CC. Overuse simply clutters inboxes. Copy only people who are directly involved. Don't use email as an excuse to avoid personal contact. Oh, praise the Lord. Don't forget, listen, including myself, don't forget the value of face-to-face communication. It's not outdated, and it's not going anywhere. Think of the times you heard someone say, Well, I sent you an email. If you have a problem with someone, speak with that person directly. Don't use email or social media to avoid an uncomfortable situation or to cover up a mistake. Don't do it. Ministry leaders. Again, we're talking about the quality of leadership. Okay. Remember that email isn't private. Email is not private. Never put an email message or put something in an email message that you wouldn't want to put on a postcard. You might unintentionally send something to the wrong party. So always keep the content professional to avoid embarrassment. When I email or text my wife, I just say, honey, I love you. And that's about it. I'll put nothing else in there. Because I have a lot of phone numbers in there. And what if I accidentally click on the wrong person and they get, you know, something else? That would be embarrassing. How would I explain that to someone else's wife? I love you. Oh, my goodness. And you're a leader. Or, worst case scenario... You lose your phone. And someone else finds it. An unbeliever. That's not going to give it back. They're going to go through all your messages. And all your photos. You say, wow, don't I know that person? And your stuff is, your business is all over the web. The entire world. Remember, the email is not private. Be sparing with group email. Send group email only when it's useful to every recipient. Use the reply all button only when compiling results requiring a collective input. I sent one out recently to the sound team. It was a collective email, but it was to those who I thought that really need to hear it. It was great. Recipients get quite annoyed to open an email that says, Me too. (laughs) Qualities of a leader. 
Number eight, use the subject field to indicate content and purpose. Subject field is the one on the top. Don't just say hi. <laughs> it's also a good practice to include the word long if the sub in the subject field if the message is going to be long. These Again, these are just practical things that no one's going to tell you because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Okay, this is just, just practical things that you and I could use to help ministry run smooth. And Lord knows we need all the help that we need, you know, that we can get, especially in ministry. All right. <laughs> Number nine, don't send chain letters, virus warnings, or junk mail. Oh, President Obama is not a U.S. citizen. I don't care. I, I, I really don't care. That's not... You know, all these, you know, and again, I know the intentions. People mean well. Some people have a lot of time on their hands. But you know what? you got to realize there's a lot of people that don't have time. If a constant stream of jokes from a friend annoys you, be honest and ask that person to be removed from the list. Direct personal email to your home. You know, send it there. For us, we're blessed here at CCM that we do have a CCM account. I use it. CCM. Pastor Barney at ccmmonrovia.org. That's how you get a hold of me. <laughs> I'll be careful. See, I'm teaching these teenagers. See what happens? <laughs> Number 10, remember that your tone can't be heard in an email. Your tone. It can't. Have you ever attempted sarcasm in an email and the recipient took it the wrong way? Email communication can convey the nuisance, cannot convey the nuisance of verbal communication. Also, don't assume that using a smiley face would diffuse a difficult message. And number 11, use a signature that includes contact information. Normally, a phone number would help. And the last one, Summarize long discussions. Scrolling through pages of replies to understand a discussion is annoying. Instead of continuing to forward a message string, take a minute to summarize it for your reader. You could even highlight a quote or relevant passage that's included in your response. Again, these are just practical things in life. Okay. Chapter 10, it's on page 77, chapter 10, page 77, so right here, Acts chapter 6, verse, verses 3 through 5, therefore brethren seek out from among you seven Men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful, powerful chapter. Above all else, spiritual leadership requires spirit-filled people. Emphasis added. Other qualities are important. 
But being spirit-filled is number one. This administrative task was not taken lightly. Notice the requirements for men who were able to handle the food program. Notice carefully. Men of good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. These were men that worked or served in the kitchen. Men of good reputation. Every one of us in here, myself included, has a reputation and it precedes us wherever we go. Paul told Timothy one of the qualifications of a leader is that he should have a good reputation. Not among church folks, but on the outside. It's easy to be religious here. Oh, Pastor Richard is back. I better go to study. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But what are they saying about you on the outside? What if we all had an opportunity to go visit our employers? Say, hey, I'm looking for a brother so-and-so. Oh yeah, he's over there at the water cooler talking. Or no, you know, hey, oh yeah, he's a good worker. Yeah, all right. Hey, the other day, my wife and I, we went out to eat this restaurant uh, across from Clearman Steakhouse. And we uh, went inside, and this person behind the counter, one of the cooks, I said, Marilyn, I know that person. I know that person. She said, no. I said, no, I know that face. I've seen that person before. It's one of your youth, <laughs> former youth. But anyway... I said, hey, so-and-so. I don't want to mention his name. <laughs> How you doing? And remember, the scene, it's crowded in there. I don't care. You know, I just, hey, what's going on? Oh, yeah, yeah. How you doing, Pastor Barney? Embarrassing him. But uh, <laughs> he said, so you got a new job? He said, yeah, I've only been here two weeks. I said, wow, you're doing pretty good. You got a full house in here. Good food. And said, so uh, I want to talk to the boss, the maestro. That's what I said. I want to, who's, who's the boss? He's over here. Hey, 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 how you doing? Hey, good, good, good. He, and, and the boss said, hey, uh, how do you know this guy? He's only been here two weeks. Said, hey, he, you know what? He used to attend my church. And the whole line, everyone on that line looked up and said, oh, now we know something about him. I said, but no, you know, I'll put in a good word. Hey, he's a good worker. You know what? Train him, and he'll do you well. Reputation. People filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, to, to do the job. Listen, part of being a witness, and sometimes this is underestimated, it's just doing your job. Being the best employee on your job, listen, it has opened up Lots of doors, at least for me it has. I have the liberty on my job just about anything. Computer, tools, I got a budget. I get to keep my keys 24-7. I get to store some of the, you know, stuff from CCM there. We get free storage. (laughs) I have a refrigerator, stove, microwave, oven. I mean, praise the Lord. 
And they always say, Mr. Harris, is there anything that you need? What a blessing. I said, we're glad you're here. I said, I'm glad I'm here too. <laughs> you know what? The first year on my job, I didn't say anything about the Lord. Nothing. You know why? Because I needed to learn how to do my job. I didn't go in there preaching preach Christ and I can't do my job. Preach Christ, boom, doors open. Whatever we do, we do it heartily as unto the Lord. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. Look at this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Verse 2. I know all the things you do. He's talking about a church. I have seen your hard work. That's good. Praise the Lord. And your patience. Endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Verse 4. But. The word but, for you scholars, it negates everything prior. Or its contrast. But. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Oswald Sanders quoting, When a church or mission organization follows a different set of standards, it essentially removes the spirit from leadership. Consequently, the spirit is grieved and quenched, and the result is the spirit's absence from that work. Revelation 2.5 Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. God has called Calvary Chapel Monrovia to be a light in the San Gabriel Valley. God told Moses... I am no respect a person. He told Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I am I will have mercy. He's God. But to be recipients of his mercy and his grace, his love and forgiveness, there are conditions. It's conditional. And what's the condition? We do it his way or we don't do it at all. For Jesus to remove your lampstand from its place would mean the church would cease to be an effective church. It didn't say that the church wouldn't be full. It didn't say that the church would have all sorts of programs. It would say it would cease to be an effective church. Just as the seven branched candlestick in the temple gave light for the priest to see, the churches were given light to the surrounding communities. But Jesus warned them that their lights could go out. In fact, Jesus himself would extinguish any light that did not fulfill his purpose. End of quote. Well, Pastor Barney, how do we know if we're doing this or what? 
follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. One, one time I came home, it was late, I was tired, and my wife says, oh, we need to do this, you know, this needs to be done, da 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 And this is my famous saying, I said, honey, if the Lord doesn't get it done, then it's not going to get done. It's total. <laughs> this it. They have a Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. When I stand before the Lord, and I will, I'm going to have to give an account what the Lord told Pastor Barney. When we go before the Lord, listen, there's no group plan. There's no PPO, HMO, bring the whole familia. Lord, see, look. No, it's going to be one-on-one with you and Jesus Christo. You're not going to have no attorney, no wife, no niños, no niñas. One-on-one. And we're going to be held accountable for the talents that he's given each and every one of us individually. So I'm not hiding my talents in the ground because I saw what happened to that person that did that. Oh, where are you going, Pastor Barney? Oh, i got to be about the Father's business. Oh, don't you want to go here? Hey, you guys have a blessed time. <laughs> We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Therefore, I live each day as though it's my last. Like Pastor Richard said a while back, Live, live with no regrets. Wish I coulda, shoulda. Spending a whole lifetime getting ready to serve the Lord. No. I love the Lord. I love serving the Lord. Qualities of a leader. Revelation chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. But this is in your favor. Here's the good news. God is so gracious. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must, that's an imperative, it's a command, must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Because this is God's desire for each and every one of our lives. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. What's the key? Let's keep this very simple. Listen to the Spirit. Not your flesh. Not to Satan. No one else. Listen to the Holy Spirit. The church as a whole, CCM as a whole, must listen to the Holy Spirit. Why? He died for the sins of the world. That's why. 1 John 1, seven. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We are to be lights. Jesus did not die for His own sins. Why? Because He had none. Instead, He died for the sins of the world. You and I, we commit our lives to Christ. 
And thus we identify ourselves with Him. His death becomes ours. He has paid the penalty for our sins, and His blood has purified us. And just as Jesus Christ rose again from the grave, we too one day shall be risen with Him. That's the hope that goes beyond our circumstances. That's what encourages us each day to do the will of God. And more than that, to live for God. In conclusion, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Past tense, present tense. Now, Jesus used the term living waters in John chapter 4, verse 10, to indicate eternal life. Here he uses a term to refer to the Holy Spirit. The two go together. Wherever the Holy Spirit is accepted, He brings eternal life. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' followers at Pentecost, remember, in Acts chapter 2 and has since been available to all who believe in Jesus as their Savior. That is the good news. What is it again? Recap. At the moment of salvation, that moment that you got saved, that moment that I got saved, Jesus Christ equipped us to do His will. Even though He's sitting on the right hand of the throne of the Father, He left us with the Comforter, His Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. There's no confusion. There's no misunderstanding. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, He's in us. And you know and I know that whatever the Holy Spirit commands us to do that is for A, His glory, and B, our benefit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for having mercy upon our wretched souls, for extending grace and mercy and love to the Gentiles. We thank You, Father, for the new covenant, a much better covenant that grafted us in. Thank you, Lord, for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that the words spoken this evening will fall upon good soil and bring forth fruit in our lives. Father, we pray that you'll just continue to speak to us as we get in our small groups. And Lord, that we would always, always consider how wonderful you are, how faithful you are. And Lord, this is as a reminder that you do love us. You love us all. 
unconditionally. And for that, Lord, we thank You. We praise You and we give You the glory in the name which is above every name, Jesus Christ, our precious and wonderful Savior. Church said, Amen. All right.